It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Welcome, everyone, back to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, Ellen Grace O'Brien, Yogacharya O'Brien. She is the spiritual director and founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. She is an author, uh, an author of the books, The Jewel of Abundance, and a book of poetry called The Moon Reminded Me. Uh, she's a singer and also the founder of the Yoga Hour podcast, which has now been going strong for over 10 years now. Uh, Yogacharya O'Brien is my elder sister in the creation tradition and whom I've developed a great deal of love and respect and reverence for. She's a student of Roy Eugene Davis and was initiated into Kriya Yoga and ordained to teach Kriya Yoga by him and so represents the same lineage as Mr. Davis and his predecessors. So it's with great joy that I welcome Yogacharya O'Brien to the Kriya Yoga podcast for episode 52, which marks two years since the podcast began. So uh, welcome, Yogacharya O'Brien. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks so much, Ryan, and congratulations on two years. That's a big commitment. It's, it's a lot of time and energy and blessings going forth into the universe. So yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, today, we're going to take some time to talk about uh, the theme of development within uh, one's Kriya Yoga practice with the idea of uh, exploring maybe tips, um, what beginners need to know to get the most out of it, and then ideally segueing into uh, what it's like to practice Kriya Yoga in an intermediate sense once you're fully established in it. Um, so before we get into that, though, um, if you don't mind letting our listeners know, um, what was your introduction to Kriya Yoga and how long have you been uh, on this path? I, so I lose count sometimes. So I had the blessing of um, knowing and studying with uh, Roy Jean Davis, as you mentioned, for just about 40 years. Um, I met him in 1979, and he was my introduction to the path of Kriya Yoga. And um, that took uh, really all it was was one meeting with him. And being able to hear the teaching so clearly, it spoke to my heart. You know, later on, I was writing about that meeting and I said, we've had this recognition, you know, much later looking back, that in some ways it was my own heart that was speaking because there was such a deep resonance to the teachings of Kriya Yoga. So that, that started me on my journey. 1979. Then in 1980, I was initiated into Kriya Yoga by him. And then um, I was ordained in 1982. And, um, and then, you know, the rest is, is learning and growing and taking care of karma and surfing. <laughs> yes. And so you've been, you've been serving uh, in the Kriya Yoga tradition for quite a while. I mean, that's most of your adult life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I was only five when I began. 
<laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, when I think back on 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 Mr. Davis and um, how he began when he was around 18 or so and how he spent his entire life, you know, dedicated to to teaching and sharing Kriya Yoga and you know, getting to know you better and, and recognizing that you also uh, have done that. I, I was reflecting on how fortunate I personally have felt to know and have had people in my life uh, with that kind of experience. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> well, and you know, it's, um, I don't know what to say about it. You know, it's a, it's a, it seems to me to be a matter of God's grace and our own receptivity at some certain point in time. You know, I meet people, I have met people over the years, you know, all ages coming to the path, you know, whether they're in high school or college or, you know, just hitting retirement. And sometimes the people who are, you know, later on in life just say, you know, why didn't I find this sooner? And um, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I just think it's a matter of, you know, when we're ready and there's certain um, indicators of when we're ready, but what makes that happen for one person, you know, versus another I don't really know. And it makes me all the more grateful, you know, for uh, finding the path when I did. Like many uh, devotees on the path of Kriya Yoga, I I won't say that I couldn't imagine my life without Kriya Yoga. I can imagine it. And it's not very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I feel... Um, you know, there's a quote at the end of the Holy Science uh, uh, where Sri Yukteswar quotes from the Vedas um, that the world is unsafe and unstable like a drop of water on a lotus leaf. And the company of a divine person, you know, even for a moment can save and redeem us. And um, that's really how I feel. I feel like I was saved and redeemed, um, you know, and I don't you know, I don't think of people as sinners. That's not what the world, that's not what the word means to me. It means that my life was taken in a whole different direction. And um, so I'm grateful for that grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, as you, as you say, having that grace is, it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I can, as I remember spending time with Mr. Davis and kind of that effect that it had on me subtly, you know, even as I went back into my world and um, away from retreats and so on, you know, I've also uh, noticed that with you. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but whenever we've, we've spent time chatting or, or, or meeting, um, I always find myself in that same kind of, uh, that, that, that same kind of state of, of upliftment. So um, again, <laughs> I just want to thank you for for that. <laughs> you know that's true. That's that's and I and I feel that too when we have an opportunity to share because our conversation is generally about God and gurus and and yoga, um, and you know that's the function of a satsang. You know of us having a spiritual community that we're a part of, and it should in the highest way do that for us. I mean, there's even a verse in the Bhagavad Gita about that how you know, those who are on the path should come together and lift one another up with positive conversation. And um, that's a wonderful thing to have. 
Yes, yes. And hopefully this will also uh, benefit those, those who are listening. Um, to get into the topic that we want to discuss today, you know, the reason I asked you about how you came to know about Kriya Yoga and, 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 and when you began the practice, uh, I just want individuals to know who don't already know you, that you do have a lot of experience in this kind of work, in this ministry. And so when you work with individuals who have just discovered Kriya Yoga or are super enthusiastic and, and ready to just take the bull by the horns and, and do everything they can, I'm kind of curious, um, what kind of insights do you have for people so that they, uh, you know, burn like a, a log that, that goes throughout the night rather than a straw fire that burns up and, and goes out? It's a good question, you know, because kind of like um, with Ayurveda, right? It depends on the individual temperament. You know, some people are, you know, really fired up and enthusiastic and others are doubtful and suspicious. And um, so it kind of depends on the person, but at the base of it, I would say always we have that recommendation from our tradition of just meditate, just set up a steady meditation practice and begin to prove the teachings for yourself because nothing works like that. You know, anything that you read or do or you know, it's having direct insight that makes all of the difference. And so I always remind people that I can't teach them anything they don't already know um, in the sense of fundamentally, you know, we are um, awake at the core of our being and we know that and all about life and the cosmos is accessible to us as our teacher would tell us. Um, so I just point people in that direction and to have um, a steady practice, but, but to have the sense that, you know, this tradition teaches you can and must experience directly what you're studying. So that's the first piece. So, you know, regardless of where they're coming from, if they're on fire or if they're just kind of smoldering with doubt, then, you know, I point them that way. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the idea of people who, who come at it with doubt, and then you use the idea of, of being on fire and smoldering. And it reminds me of uh, Ramana Maharshi used to say, or he, I've read, that um, there were three types of students. There was the student who is like gunpowder that just takes a match or a spark and it blows up. Then there's the one that's like charcoal that takes a little bit longer to get going. And then there's uh, another student that's like wet coal and it will eventually ignite, but it has to have that consistent um, heat applied to it. And, um, you know, those of you who already know you probably know this and those who are going to get to know you will learn that you definitely project more of a, um, patient and compassionate uh, energy. And usually when I meet people who are doubtful, my response is always, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. And I can't, <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it. So, so from your perspective, uh, how do you encourage one through initial doubts? Uh, how, do you, how do you approach that with individuals? I think the the emphasis, you know, through the lineage of the masters in our tradition is um, 
you know, you are divine. You know, you, you are supreme consciousness itself. And so if we have some way we can remind people of that, you know, which is a role of a, of a teacher or a guru to remind, um, then I think, you know, regardless of the obstacles that a student faces, somewhere they hear that, you know, and you say, you are consciousness, life is consciousness, life is a play of consciousness, and, and you are that. Um, it might set the head spinning a little bit, but the heart and the soul know that and hear that. So I think any way we can say that, and, you know, I've been, so having been teaching for, you know, what did we just say, adding up the years, like 40 years or whatever, um, one, one time a student said to me, you know, because for a long time I gave talks, you know, every Sunday and, and pretty much I'm still doing that. Although I take some breaks now because there are many other teachers in our community. Um, but he said to me, you know, it's amazing to me how, um, you just say the same thing, you know, for decades in different ways, <laughs> I thought, well, I think that's a compliment, you know, that I haven't, <laughs> I haven't deviated from the core message, but I do find, you know, I do try to find interesting ways to talk about it. But yeah. anyway, back to our point, I think that as a way of encouragement, people really just need to hear the truth and, but not in a harsh way, it can be in a loving way also. And of course, beyond that is knowing the truth about them. Right. Um, because people feel that. We all feel that. Yeah. I, as you were talking, that, that idea came to mind. You know, you can say to someone, you know, you are divine, you are pure consciousness, you are these things. And anyone can say that. But I, I think it, it does make a bit of a difference if the individual saying that knows it. <laughs> oh, complete difference. Complete difference. Because what happens is if you are able to come from that place, if you know it, then there's a transmission of consciousness that occurs. And that's, that's what this uh, tradition is all about. That's why you can't get it from a book. Um, I mean, you can to a certain degree, but um, being with a teacher, there's that transmission of what the truth is that you then you experience. You may not be able to explain it. You don't, may not know what it was you've experienced, but um, it's uplifting. Right. Well, you know, you, you and you and I, since our teacher was is Roy Eugene Davis, um, and we had that experience. And many people often, what always makes me laugh though, is when people write to me and say, "Where can I find a great yoga teacher?" <laughs> I've had people say that to my face. Yeah. <laughs> it just it cracks me up. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> For people who are looking and, and looking for a teacher, maybe that resonates more with them or their experience or their temperament. Um, do you have any recommendations for people? For me, it just happened. I don't remember it being an issue. It, it's just one day I figured out that Mr. Davis was in Georgia and I found him. Uh, so when you interact with people who have that question or that interest, how do you, um, what do you say to them? I usually just tell them to pray about it, you know, and to ask for divine guidance, you know, um, because it's a karmic thing, isn't it? You know, and it's also a little mysterious, you know, I didn't, 
I wasn't looking for a guru, you know, when I met Roy Jean Davis. Um, I don't think I even really knew what one was. You know, I had a little bit of um, experience reading, uh, you know, Alan Watts and Zen teachings and the American transcendentalists. And so I was interested, you know, spiritually, um, but I didn't have any idea about the deep teachings, the traditions that were actually available um, until, until I met him. Right. Right. Um, well, moving away from the idea of uh, working with individuals who have some doubt to move through, let's say we're talking to uh, new, new, new people, people who've learned Kriya Yoga, who are ready to, you know, organize their life so that they get the most benefit um, out of the work. What, what are some general recommendations that you have for them so that they're able to stick with it for the long haul and, and to, you know, go deeper into it? Really, I think keeping it simple is helpful. Keeping it simple, you know, having a daily practice. That's the, that's the core of it. That's the crux of it. And, you know, when you read Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, the definition of Kriya Yoga, it's pretty simple. You know, <laughs> lead a disciplined life, study, study the nature of reality, the nature of consciousness, inquire, you know, what is this? <laughs> and what am I? And, and then use that kind of study to also, as you're studying the text and the teachings that your teacher has put forth, um, you know, keep a spiritual diary, ask yourself, you know, is this working? You know, I've been doing, I've been doing this, you know, what am I experiencing? Um, you know, use yourself as your own laboratory. And then the surrender factor, of course, wraps it all up. Like, you know, don't get too um, wrapped up in your ideas of results um, because that'll take you off course. You can't get there by your ego because it's beyond that. So it's a beautiful path. Path that's just so clear and simple. Um, and I think, you know, of course, when we come onto the path and we're enthusiastic about it, you know, we want instant enlightenment. And, you know, that rarely happens. It can happen. Um, and, you know, in my experience, and I think in that of, of many others, there, there are some graces that happen in the beginning, you know, I think due to, um, you know, you're kind of on that trajectory and you're enthusiastic and that's really focusing your energy. And I don't know, some grace of God gives you some openings, you know, some meditation openings, you get to see some inner light, you hear some inner sound, um, but you know, and I remember for me, God was just everywhere. You know, I'm, I, God was the wind. I could look in the phone book and be inspired. You know, it was just like that. Um, and that's a helpful thing. You know, it's like falling in love. Um, but then there is the after the honeymoon stage where it can dry up. And um, then you and then you start to have doubts, you know, like, well, is this really my path? You know, I had those experiences, but I'm not having them now. And, you know, my meditations were a lot more, you know, I struggled in the beginning, but then I had those interesting experiences and now it's just boring. And so, you know, then the mind, you know, then you're ready for the deeper work, really. Yeah. 
Well, that's that that's very good it reminds me uh, a student recently wrote to me and um i'd been interacting with her and as she described her practice to me it sounded like it was very intensive and uh going very well and then i got this email saying uh, i need some help how can i intensify my practice and i'm thinking wow of, of the stuff that you've told me i don't really understand what needs to be more intense about it so I, i'm i'm guessing that I need to talk to her again, but I'm guessing that maybe she hit that point where now it's about making it just simply something consistent that you do without an attachment to an experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's that double-edged sword about having meditation experiences where then you become attached to them and um, you're trying to carry that into the next meditation. You know, I want to see that again. I want to experience that again, but um, in, in my experience, um, those things come completely unbidden right. and they're never the same. And right. so it's futile <laughs> to try and compare one meditation session to another. And ultimately, you know, and I, I think um, our, our teacher has, you know, been such a a wonderful guide in that regard to say, look, you may have some bells and whistles and fine if you do, but ultimately it's not about that because that's all, you know, connected to the phenomenal realm, whether it is gross or subtle phenomena. And what we're looking at is to get beyond that experience into pure existence being. So um, you can let that go. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the tricky part, though. And when I remember reading uh, the Holy Science, you know, Sri Tishwar talks about these kind of levels or states of being, and he, he says that, you know, you can't really comprehend the higher states of being so long as you are identified with matter or the mind. And I guess the main idea is through our practices, we're learning to kind of talk through or push ourselves beyond that just to get the direct experience of it. It is. And, you know, one of the things that is, I think is surprising about holy science, which I really like because I, I tend to have um, some part of my nature anyway, that's devotional, not all of it, but um, you know, we look at Sri Yukteswar as such a, such a gyan yogi, right? A, a gyan avatar, really. Um, but holy science is very devotional and it's, and, you know, he talks about, um, the compelling power of divine love. And, um, so, you know, even though we're on this path that is, um, that requires us to clarify our discernment and it is a, it is a wisdom path. It is a path of inquiry, but it is also a path of heart. And if, if you can have love for God, however you think of God, love for guru, um, that helps, it has helped me to stay steadfast because for me, that quality of heart is connected to being fully alive. And, um, and then the path is, you know, as Yogananda described it, ever new joy, you know, um, because it is our life, it is our life experience. So not everything happens in meditation, obviously, you know, it's sort of like being in that constant 
Um, you know, I remember when I was first studying with Mr. Davis and he had a little affirmation card he gave out and it was um, something like um, the, how did it go? The, the constant and vibrant awareness of the presence of God um, or the vibrant awareness of the presence of God is my constant companion, you know, every moment of every day. And so that's what I like to cultivate is that yeah. constant and vibrant awareness of the presence of God moment to moment every day. Yeah. That, that's, that's great that you, you mentioned this, this card because uh, I had one too. And it was, again, I wish I, I, I remembered it exactly, uh, but it was the radiant purity of my essence of being illumines my mind and conscience. It was something like that, right. but that was something that really, you know, spoke to me yes. um the the idea that you're talking about with uh jnana or knowledge and and devotion um I'm, i just want to talk about that for a moment if you don't mind um because i've had students often say to me i'm not devotional you know i i just they think about yogananda and they, they say i'm not like that and i try to explain to them that you know devotion like when i'm devoted to something or someone I want to know about them. You know, if, if I'm devoted to a person, I want to know what's her favorite flower, what kind of music does she like, what chores make her really happy when someone does it. Because if you know those things, that that then you're able to to act on them. And so um, I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on that, because you mentioned Sri Yukteswar, and I think that that's very important because his devotion was through knowing what this stuff is. And if you spend your time trying to figure it out, well, what other kind of devotion <laughs> do you need? <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that, um, and it seems to me that once you know, then love is alive in you. That, I mean, that is the love of God and it, it is alive in you. Um, you know, I, I I think of there's some part in the autobiography where Sri Yukteswar says something like, this is talking about this, like there's really just one word you can say, and that's God, you know, that, that that's like it. And so I think that having that love awakened. And it's not something that we create. And I understand people say they're not devotional, but usually that's related to they don't, they can't resonate with deity worship or they don't like to sing kirtan. Um, but we're all devoted to something. <laughs> you know, we're all giving our time and energy to something. And so it's, I think it's learning more about it, what it means in a subtle sense, you know, to be devoted to something like you say, you, you want to know when you're devoted to someone or something you meet your, but, but we're also kind of talking around the same thing, which is that there's a magnetism to love um, that, 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 pulls you to be connected, you know, in your thoughts, in your heart, in your orientation. So that's the kind of devotion um, that is helpful. It's not so much like how it is expressed outwardly. And I also find on the yoga path that, you know, I mean, I think Kriya Yoga, of course, contains um, 
all the classical forms of yoga, you know, through the practices that were given. So we have, you know, wisdom yoga and discernment. We also have devotion. Um, we have service. We have Raja yoga step-by-step methodology. So it's, it's all there. And I think that, that that is about balancing our temperament, balancing our nature. So very often people have said, I remember one student who who came to me and said, you know, and I came to this path and, you know, he's, you know, scientifically um, bent, you know, engineer. He said, you know, I came to this path and, you know, I just know, you know, I'm a gyan yogi. I'm a wisdom yogi. That's my way. And he said, you know, (laughs) a year or so into it, I discover I'm a flaming bhakti, you know? So it, it, it was like the underside, you know, of his personality that hadn't been expressed. And he found this, um, amazing love, uh, for God. So, um, you know, and when we look at Yogananda's story, um, for example, you know, how much bhakti he had, but how his relationship with Sri Yukteswar, you know, had pulled that wisdom out of him. And he was such a balanced uh, individual and um, in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this kind of brings me to sort of a segue point from things people need to think about when they're when they're just getting started to well now once you're in it how's it going to go and um, i'm curious what your take is on just simply the experience of of life because what i have noticed is often when people first get involved in spiritual practices and i had this problem too so i'm not calling anyone out other than myself uh there's an idea that once you become a yogi or once you start doing these types of things as though then it's just going to be smooth sailing, you know, nothing's going to go wrong. You know, you're going to have all the money you want. It's going to be perfect all the time. And um, I think I've seen people once they get into it and they start to recognize, well, my mind is calmer and I do have greater insights into the wholeness of life, but you know, I still don't get along with my mother-in-law and the world is still kind of a mess. And how do you speak to or address that kind of transitionary period to keep people going? <laughs> well, it's helpful to know that most people go through that and that it is part of the path. Um, I remember um, I was really furious. Um, I was furious uh, at Really, I was at my teacher. <laughs> I was furious at the path. I was furious at God. You know, I wrote a letter to God, firing God. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, it was so immature, but it kind of needed to do that. It was like, you know, you, you know, every curse word I could think of, you know, you were supposed to be in charge of the universe. This is a big mess. <laughs> It's like it was hysterical, um, but I needed to get that out. And of course, I recognized, you know, that it was some old theology I was caring about how God was supposed to be. So that was a really important part of my journey to do that. And you know, that was early on. But um, I had that expectation that things were going to clear up in my life, and um, a little while onto the path, um, things actually got worse instead of better. And that was really disappointing. (laughs) And I was disappointed in myself because I was doing much worse. Um, So I had that little, you know, like, you know, life was difficult. I had a lot of 
things that weren't working for me. I came onto the path. I thought, great. Like you say, this is fixed. And then, you know, what happened to me as is common is the lights come on, right? The lights, the light gets turned up in your mental field. And so you actually begin to see more of the depth of your challenge, you know, you <laughs> of your thought patterns, you become aware of how you have created certain realities that are problematic for you. Um, and so then it feels kind of um, confrontive and, you know, how am I going to get through that? So, I mean, that's one of the blessings of having a teacher is that they can say, look, that's really normal. I mean, one of the things that happens is, you know, you come onto the path, you start to practice, and yes, you become more aware. And one of the things you become more aware of is your own um, errors. Mm -hmm. And the path then is a, is a practice of figuring out how to clear up your karma, how to clear up these past impressions that are altering your reality in negative ways, and, and how to avoid doing that going forward. So, for me, it one of the best things we can do is just say, that's normal. <laughs> it's normal and it should happen. And you're seeing, you know, like it, what did it take, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years to get here and think about how you lived up until that time. <laughs> and of course, you're going it, to, it's like, you know, what was that? What is that? A movie that was out years and years ago. It used to make me think of this. Um, it was a comedy. I do remember Gene Wilder was in it, but there's a train that comes into the station and they try to stop the train. But that train is like a slow-mo, you know, of the train just coming in and it doesn't stop and it just crashes and crashes and crashes. <laughs> and and this doesn't sound very heartening, but um, but it's it's good to recognize that yes, we get on the path, we pull that cord to stop the karma train, but it's still coming in. <laughs> it still has momentum. And so that's why we have a sadhana. So we can we can work to clear that up and to actually begin to create new karmas that are more positive. Yeah, yeah. And so basically what I gathered from that is the idea that once you get on a path of meditation and ideally, you know, if you're practicing yoga, you're going to be practicing yamas, niyamas, truthfulness, harmlessness, contentment, things which innately just tend to make one's life better. However, when you start to do that, it's like all of a sudden you, you talk about the lights coming on where you start to see all the stuff from the past that was a momentum that was causing you problems previously, but you didn't notice it until now you're starting to make these changes. Yeah, because initially, you know, before you come on the path and before you're awake, you know, at least for me, um, I was pretty sure that those things were, were because of what other people did. Right. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, oh, I'm involved in this. This is my life. It's, it's coming out of my 
thoughts and my speech and my behavior and um, you know, how do I undo what I did? Yeah. And you, you mentioned the importance of having a teacher in that situation. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I remember, I know you've heard me tell this story before. Um, I remember once at CSA, you were there and you were giving a, a lecture on um, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And I remember thinking, well, I just got done writing a, a, a commentary on that. I don't need to sit and listen to this. And so I got up and I started to leave. And as I was going out through the dining hall, Roy was, was coming the opposite direction. He looked at me and he said, you get back in there. <laughs> and so, so I went and I, I sat back down. But anyway, um, I remember that, that talk you were giving. And right as I was leaving... And coming back in, obviously, you were talking about the first statement of uh, now instruction in yoga practice. And that really stuck with me uh, for all these years. And the way I took it, though, was I tended to and still do encourage people that that means that in order to begin practicing yoga, you kind of have to be at a certain point where you're capable of, of doing it. And so I encourage people to work with a counselor, to find a therapist, to find a coach so that they become strong enough that they can do this work rather than turning the yoga work itself into like a healing process. And the reason I'm, I'm kind of bringing all this up is because um, that, that point that you're talking about where the lights come up, um, it seems that if people have, if they already have a sense of maturity and, and strength and resilience that it's less likely to kind of shut them down. Um, so I, what I'm, I'm asking this lead up, um, what do you feel the role is in individuals you know, working with counselors or, or doing that? I know the teacher plays a role a little bit there, but not all teachers are fantastic counselors or psychologists. So how do you, how do you address that? Oh, yeah. I, I also recommend it. I had to do that myself. That's why. Yes. <laughs> so, um, because, you know, meditation doesn't cure everything. And so, you know, we have, um, you know, the masters in our tradition, uh, you know, there's an instruction, you know, just meditate more and you will obviously ultimately be able to see into the nature of reality. Um, however, um, particularly in the West, I don't know about other places, but if you're dealing with psychological issues, family issues, um, you know, it, it can interfere with your ability to meditate and you can be asking too much of meditation, you know, to, to cure all that. However, you know, the, the two are a really good combination, I think, because more clarity through meditation can help you, you know, if you have the right therapist, and if you're not in a, you know, if you have somebody who has a spiritual perspective and orientation, you know, who's, who's not about, you know, years and years of therapy, um, but who knows that you're a spiritual being and you're going to work through certain things and can help you do that. And you know that for yourself, that's helpful. Right. Right. And so moving beyond that, when, when an individual might assume or 
be at a place where they could be considered intermediate, meaning that they know the basics, they're practicing the yamas and niyamas, they meditate regularly, they, they take care of their resources and their responsibilities. Um, what do you see um, that might be obstacles to maintaining uh, that kind of level of practice and also continuing to deepen the process at that kind of what we might call intermediate stage? I don't know. Life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I, can, I can come up with ideas of what you might mean by that, but what, what do you mean by life? <laughs> well, you know, life is, um, life is ever-changing, and, and really yoga practice is designed to help us live skillfully um, in a world that is always in flux, and so as we move through life, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, things change and, you know, we can um, encounter grave difficulties. Um, and so one of the things I see is, you know, when that happens in people's lives and even when they're established yogis, um, generally that carries them, you know, they have an insight about what's happening, but it doesn't stop the, in a sense, the, what we would think of as an interruption, <laughs> you know, like this is an interruption to my yoga, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, whether it's illness in the family or financial difficulty, or even something very positive, like having a baby, right? Um, these things can seem like interruption to our life as a Kriya Yogi. So what is helpful is that ultimate reframe that your life as a Kriya Yogi is deepened by these experiences of life in flux. And you may not be able to keep the same sadhana that you had before because you might be continually interrupted. However, um, if you have, you know, a teacher, uh, a spiritual friend, you know, that can remind you that the work of the soul goes on, you know, and I think, you know, not, I have written about it being, you know, like an underground stream at those times that is flowing so deeply and really transforming the heart, the mind, the soul in a way um, that at the time is unknown to us, but um, later is revealed. Did that answer your question? Um, did that answer my question? Uh, <laughs> About interview, what do you do when you're, when you're buzzing along and then... Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think that gave insight into uh, sort of, I think it put it into perspective what I would consider to be the fact that once you're solid and stable in your practice and, and in your theory and in your philosophy and in your activity that as life happens if you can keep it into perspective that as you said there's like this river of, of grace or river of spirit underneath if you can keep that in perspective then maybe it's possible to see um, how these changes and transformations can contribute to deeper understanding does that Yes. And to have some, it's helpful to have some kind of touchstone, you know, which, yes. you know, for me, 
has been a relationship with a guru. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's relationship, you know, I'm still with him inwardly, but, you know, with others in the Kriya Yoga satsang, sort of to kind of hold you as you move through those times in, in life um, and keep you aware. Because sometimes people um, drift, you right. know, they, and I've seen that over the years um, because, you know, we've had services on Sundays continuous for 40 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I've seen people like come and go. And yeah. sometimes, you know, people will be right there. They're loving the path. They're inspired. They're practicing. And then something in their life happens. And it, and it might be something that's so-called positive or so-called negative. Um, but then they drift away. And then sometimes, like 10 years, 20 years later, here they come. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was, it's like, wow, that was an interesting arc, you know. Right. And, um, and if it's if it's somebody who's taken a really long time to get back, the ones who do make it back, um, often they have a lot of sorrow about that. Yeah. You know, not about what happened in their life, but how they kind of got away from their practice for so long and feel like they wasted valuable time. Yeah, yeah, and that makes me think of when I, the idea or the term guru, at least from a Vedic astrology standpoint, uh, that term often also means like heavy or anchor. And so, you know, the guru in one's life is that which anchors one and, and kind of I used to fish a lot. So for me, it makes sense. You have the anchor, which is down on the bottom of the, the lake or the river and the boats trying to push around a little bit, but it's not going anywhere because there is that anchor, that connection. Yeah. And that's very, that's very valuable. Um, I think about what you just mentioned about individuals who kind of go away for a little bit and, and come back and uh, that kind of sorrow that, that they have. And I, I wonder, um, have you ever tried to prevent that? Like, meaning, have you seen it happen and thought to yourself, you're going to regret this, not in a judgmental way, but I just know the psychology of how this might go. Have you ever tried to prevent that from happening with anyone? And if so, did it work? No, it doesn't work. Um, at least I've never seen that. Um, I learned fairly early on in teaching Kriya Yoga that um, I wasn't in charge. <laughs> yeah, right. And that was really helpful because um, I think it's a, it's a common mistake of teachers early on to feel like it's up to you, you know, whether people come and stay or whether they go, you know, like um, I can remember, and I can remember this. It was like, you know, in the beginning thinking, oh, so-and-so has left. It was something I said, you know, yeah. I, you know, and I'm, going in my mind, you know, like, well, what did I do that caused this person to leave? And then, and then it happened that there was somebody who came, <laughs> there was a student who came that um, I really wished um, that they would leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, and I really couldn't make that person leave. Uh-huh. And so that was my insight, you know, that that person was so steady and, um, 
you know, it, it was a open, and of course I was praying about this topic too. And, you know, the teaching is, of course, it's, it's not about you. Everybody has their destiny and they are, are doing whatever they need to do, you know, in accordance with um, their karma, their destiny and divine grace in their life. I think the most effective thing is what our, our gurus have done uh, in our lineage for us, which is to pray for us, mm. right? You know, and so I do pray for students. And by that, I, I don't pray that they come back and, you know, I don't pray that they will leave, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I just, um, and I don't even pray actively, like have a list of people that I, you know, I'm supposed to pray for. I just notice when people come into my consciousness mm -hmm. and when they do, then I just hang out in the higher awareness, you know, with them for a time. And that's the prayer of, you know, recognizing them as the divine being that they are. And then, you know, however God is guiding their journey is good. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I remember sitting with Mr. Davis uh, up in the chalet one time and, and I was asking him, uh, well, it was, it was just a year or two after I was ordained and uh, I had an issue with, you know, people keep coming and people keep going. And, and, and I was bringing that up and he said, Ryan, he said, uh, you have to remember that this is just karma yoga for, for you and us uh, that we're, like you said, we're, we're not in control of this. We're here to be a, repre a representative of this teaching so people can have access to it, but we can't control what they do or don't do. And that was very, I understood it when he said it, but it took a while to sink in. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was getting off my own ego. Like, you know, it was up to me. Um, okay. It could be something that I did or didn't do. Um, we just do our best and give it to God. You know, that's our practice as karma yogis. That is, uh, you know, less selfless service. We think of less self in our service. <laughs> so early on uh, in this discussion, you were talking about um, how people mention that maybe they're older when they come to find Kriya Yoga or they recognize the importance of uh, spiritual practice. You know, one woman, I was, I was going to go speak at a unity church here in, in a, a few weeks and uh, she found out about it and she wrote to me and said, I know you're an astrologer, you know, maybe I could have a session with you. And I explained to her that I'd retired from that at this point. And maybe that will help get me in gear because I'm older and I don't know how much time I have left. And I said, well, how about we'll just put all that aside and I'll just tell you, you don't have all the time you think you have. And it's best if you just start doing your spiritual practice again now and forget about the astrology bit. Um, but, uh, you know, what I would tell people is even if they come to spiritual practice or the importance of it later in life, at least they're doing it. It's, it's, the majority of the world never even gets the idea. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's important to, to stress that. And um, when you were talking about people who, who go away and come back and there's the sense of maybe sorrow around that, um, is there anything in particular that you say to them? I mean, because all life is part of our, our path. So whatever they went through in that time, I mean, that was part of gaining the wisdom to recognize the importance of getting back into meditation and so on. Is there anything you say to them in particular? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, one is that 
you know, as yogis, we, we take the long view, right? I mean, we're, we're all about, it's helpful, you know, to have the uh, inclination and the focus to wake up fully in this lifetime. But, you know, we also see, as it's said in the Bhagavad Gita, that whatever progress you make in this lifetime is not lost. So that's really helpful. I think it's encouraging, you know, so um, that's an important uh, reminder. And um, second part is that in terms of qualification for the path, which has been kind of a theme. We haven't specifically named it um, in our conversation, but as you mentioned, you know, people go, maybe they're gone for a year or two years or 10 years and they come back and, you know, what has changed, what has life taught them. And hopefully what has occurred is a clarification of discernment um, that, you know, the teachings, the classical teachings point out that at a certain point, we become aware that we are kind of doing the same thing over and over in our life and it's not working and we don't know how to make it work. <laughs> um, and so we come to the spiritual path, you know, looking for a different way. And so that crux point is really critical. And I think when people come back, hopefully they're there because what they've seen is that they've gone away and tried to in a sense, do it on their own, like the prodigal son, you know, do it the same way, but they, but they wake up and see the repeating pattern. And that initial uh, quickening of discernment is what's required for Kriya Yoga, because then there's a, there's a renunciation or a non-attachment that comes after that, where you, where you decide that you're going to stop asking other people in the world to give it to you. Um, and you're going to sincerely find it, um, for yourself. Right. And that triggered another idea, um, not just going away from the path, but early on, as we discussed the idea um, that people think once they get interested in meditation and yoga, that it's just going to be smooth sailing. Uh, in my own life, I, I have to say, even though I met Roy fairly young in my life and I, I started practicing meditation fairly young, and that was consistent over these years, that when I think back about the things that helped my spiritual growth, yes, I'm sure those things were helpful, but it was what I experienced in life mm -hmm. that actually, that made me realize what I feel I realize. <laughs> so I, I think it's important to, to also admit that having, living your life and doing your best with it, it might end up being part of the best spiritual practice you, you can have. <laughs> Absolutely. And I even heard our guru muse about that at one point. He said, you know, how, how does awakening come about? You know, is it, is it all of the practice that we do or is it a matter of maturing in mm -hmm. life? You know, he, he, and he was musing on that as well, like life experiences and you learn, um, you know, if you're intent on learning, I think that's the, that's the thing. If you, you know, one of the things about yoga is to the teaching to face life straight on, um, like don't distract yourself with addictions and other such things that dull your awareness. And um, because if you do that, you know, if you have active addictions, um, then you don't mature, you just keep avoiding. Um, so, 
if you, as a yogi, face life straight on, you, it is completely valuable for learning. But that can that can be very raw. I mean, I, I, I know I know we're coming close to 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 our time, but it brought up a very important point, and that is. I personally agree with this idea of seeing and, and attending to life straight on, but that can be the only word that comes up is raw because you can't BS your way out of it. You can't sleep through it. You can't ignore it. You have to actually embrace it. So you whom are one that when I listen to you speak and I, I think about your ministry, I'm typically filled with a sense of comfort and joy. <laughs> so thank you. Um, I don't have that skill. So when you are thinking about e expressing to people how to move through or deal with or just embrace this rawness, how do you do that? Well, I think for me, uh, I'm aware that life breaks our heart if you really <laughs> live it, you know? It breaks everybody's heart. And um, that's what it is in a sense to be human and to feel your connection with all humanity and all of life. But it's also what opens us to the divine, that level of vulnerability. Right. Um, so I guess that's what I would say about it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> then we will contemplate that a bit. Um, well, on that note, uh, is there any final thoughts that you have for our listeners? I know we're going to uh, hear one of your poems uh, uh, from your book to close out, but I'm curious, do you have any final thoughts or pieces of advice for beginner to intermediate uh, yogis? Well, maybe I should say something more about life breaking your heart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't have anything to follow up with that. So yes, that would be great. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, uh, I have the blessing of having children who are, you know, grown and children of their own now. Um, there was a point, there was one point, um, and I was, I was on the path at that time, but my daughter, eldest daughter was uh, gravely ill. And um, I was praying, you know, I was trying to hold her, you know, hold that whole thing together, right, to be the supportive presence that I could be. Um, and I did some kind of a drawing about this, you know, like there was her, there was me, and I was, you know, making just drawing, making a circle around us. And what came to me is that, you know, my heart was breaking, you know, as a mother, um, but that as my heart was breaking, I realized that we were being held, that there was a greater presence that was holding us. So what I mean by the heart breaking open is that it's, it breaks open beyond the egoic boundaries that we've had of our little life that we control and, you know, into the larger life. Like when you read Autobiography of a Yogi and Paramahansaji, you know, lost his mother, that broke his heart and it introduced him to Divine Mother. 
So that's what I mean about life will break your heart and it it's painful, but it also is uh, a doorway into divine love that is pervasive. Yes. It's still so profoundly raw though. I mean, and, and the, the only reason I keep coming back to that is because, you know, talking about life experiences and, and what, what you shared, I mean, that same thing happened in my life. And would I have wanted that? Would I have invited it? Had someone told me it was going to happen 10 years earlier, would I have been like, yes, this is going to be how I know God? No, but it, it happens. And when these things happen, you know, I, I guess the, the, the hang up I have on that is personally, it felt like I was forced into it. And in your experience, I would guess that since there was not really control there, that might, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but that might have also been a sense of no escape or something of that nature. But, you know, at the end of it, there was that opening, there was that, that realization. And again, that brings me back to the idea of uh, how... Can you really help people to prepare for that or to make the most of it? Or is it just a, a time to hold them and see them in their true essence while they're going through difficulties, hoping that maybe there will be that, that breaking open and that realization that comes after it? Because it, to me, there's like this fine line because I've seen people whom have had their heart broken and they just go the other direction. They, there's no more spirituality. It's just bitterness and crushedness. And I've seen others whom have gone through such tragic circumstances as yogis, as spiritual people or not, and it has completely opened them up. So my, my curiosity about all that is, you know, how, how to encourage or help one or individuals, humans who are going to go through that so that they move more fully into that realization, or does it just come back to, we're not in control of that. Uh, and it just has to be what it is. Yeah, of course, we're not in control of that. But um, we are in control of, you know, as uh, Mr. Davis <laughs> reminded you in, in what, you, what you shared today, is that we are in control of um, sharing uh, with people, what this practice is and how they can live it. You know, over all these decades, you know, what I have seen, and I have seen people um, face really difficult situations in life, you know, loss and loss upon loss. And those who have had a strong root in Kriya Yoga, um, they just testify. They just testify. They say, I don't know. I would have gone through this without having a spiritual foundation. Right. And so that gives me great hope. And um, that was true for me. You know, it was just early on the path when that particular incident that I shared, you know, came up. Right. And over the years, you know, of course, life being what it is, I've experienced many other things that have allowed me to feel um, this grace that carries us through the most uh, difficult times. And very final bit is um, that, you know, even when the difficulties do arise, one of the important things about uh, exploring this kind of spirituality and, and so on is that 
it also opens up a greater vulnerability to accept and appreciate the good things in life, to see them and appreciate them when they are there without smothering them with attachment. So does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's very helpful. I, I think just experiencing every day, you know, and the graces that are there every day, Um and sometimes when people are going through difficult times, life is is incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just going back to what we were saying, you know, earlier on is that, or I was saying anyway, that this, this world is ever changing mm-hmm. and Kriya Yoga prepare, prepares us to be in this world skillfully to respond, you know, to whatever is there. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And so I can, I can conclude on, on gratitude, if you, if that's good. (laughs) That is good. And um, again, I want to thank you for, uh, it took us a long time to schedule this. So thank you. (laughs) It's been over a year, I think, since we've been working on this. Yeah, thank you for persevering. And again, you know, congratulations on um, this uh, perseverance with your podcast. And I want to thank your listeners um, for keeping it uh, going, because that's a very important part, people telling other people about it. And um, so thanks to everyone tuning in, listening to this. Yes, and it's wonderful to have you. And if you don't mind, uh, I would love to hear your your concluding poem. Oh, I always like to read a poem because, you know, poems point to what we can't really say. So maybe uh, I'll read this one. This is a, it's a devotional poem. It's called The Beloved's Gift. Everything shines in the pure light of morning. We, even we who close our eyes at night, weary of the world, awaken each day the glimmering kiss of the beloved still shining upon our brow. The call comes, blades of grass hear it, standing in the meadow as brides wearing beads of radiance, the color of surrender. Hear the call, hasten to prayer as they do, Turn to the one who has kissed you. Bend before love. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.